Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. How do time slips actually work? Who are the strange, out-of-place first responders people report in flap areas? And uh, one we didn't get to last week <coughs> is Bigfoot naughty or nice. <laughs> Welcome to the 874th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you live from WOON AM and FM radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island and the Paranormal Radio app uh, from TalkStream Live and TuneIn.com. I'm Ben and those far-flung questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures and dad, Paul. And today we bring you an open line show and a uh, guest co-host along with us. Surprise, surprise. And if you'd like to join us on air, you can call us at 401-766-1240. That's from anywhere. Or you can email Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com. Well, first of all, we'd like to wish all our Jewish friends a happy Hanukkah. We're in the middle of Hanukkah now, uh, which uh, we've done several shows on the winter holidays and, and their, their, if you would care to say, paranormal roots. Uh, and Hanukkah is one of those, but that's, uh, uh, we've discussed that many times in the past. But anyway, for the second week in a row, our scheduled guest had to reschedule because of illness. Uh, so we're doing another impromptu open line show, and uh, I'm, re- I'm uh, distinctly relieved to have Ben back today uh, after a two-week hiatus, and our favorite guest co-host, Shane Searway. Gentlemen, welcome back. Well, thanks for uh, doing the show with me, Dad. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> I'm glad to be here, and I I'm hope, hope everyone's doing well. Very good. So let us uh, let us begin. We'll start with... Uh, we have a lot of questions come in over Facebook, so we'll we'll uh, start with that. Uh, I am excited to dive into the uh, the alignment of, of Bigfoot here. So uh, this is from yeah. Carrie in North Smithfield, Rhode Island, uh, writing to us. Why are some people scared of Bigfoot and other people are not? Uh, I have read many stories about this, and some people who see Bigfoot say he is aggressive, and others say he just stands there or runs away. It's a, actually a very a very astute observation. <laughs> Okay, it is actually. Well, let's see. Uh, Shane, uh, on, in May of 2016, you had a Bigfoot experience, and we were down in the Pennsylvania Triangle. It was our, our first uh, expedition down there. It's a new case for us. We've only been working on it for four, for, uh, four years. Uh, how did you feel? Were you frightened? Or was Bigfoot naughty or nice? Or what? Uh, tell us about that experience. Well, first I'd like to say, like, you know, I think just like with any human or just like any other creature, you're going to have some that are more aggressive and some that aren't, you're more timid. So I think, I think you might get a little bit of both, um, you know, whole assortment, um, with, with these. But what my experience, uh, that particular time, because I, I did have a a run in with something else, um, that was a little bit more aggressive than, um, the one I told you I couldn't actually see, but it, it jumped down from something and landed behind me. But the one that took off was the, the, the one that I, I believe was going after deer because it had flushed the deer and I saw the deer running and I saw this thing take off the other way when it, when it heard my vehicle coming at it. Um, but it, it, you know, it, it was moving around very strangely. Um, and then I, um, I, I, put it in drive and I gunned it and as soon as I did that it just took off arms swinging really high and it was gone like I tried to cut it off up the path and it, it was long gone and then um but as I as I 
past the area where I originally saw it, I saw these three whitetails just running, you know, over by the woods, into the woods, and um, and then I backed back up, and that's when I walk up to the sign, and the sign was two foot taller than I am, so put that thing about eight foot tall, because that's how tall it was, it was right to the top of that sign, but um, yeah, definitely that, that one took off from me, so the other one was in the same location, sounded like it, I don't know what it jumped, but it's, it, it, I didn't hear any footsteps. All of a sudden, just thud behind me, and I could hear real chested, like guttural breathing, and I just couldn't see anything there. There was nothing there. I could see everything else, but I, there was something there. I just couldn't see it. Yeah, that's happened to a number of people we've talked to down there. Now, Ben, your experience uh, right here in our listening area in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, uh, I remember that day. You were working at uh, St. Antoine's uh, Assisted Living and, and Nursing Facility on the, the top of the hill we live on. Mm, and we're coming job. down through the woods. Yeah. Oh, it was well, convenient, well, right? I didn't. I didn't need to. Yeah, you know, I couldn't drive at the time. So it was, well, your yeah. mom and I said we're going to. You, you, before you become some big radio star, you're going to have a real job. Uh, <laughs> not that this isn't a real, you know, but I mean, you know what I mean. No, I, I, I figured. Yeah. Well, I mean, I made a lot of really good friendships there, and it was it was a valuable experience for what it well, was, including the um, socket wild man, apparently. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't know. There's the, the problem with with it. It's like you know, I I know I know what I saw. It probably it's entirely possible because there was actually a, a pretty high like homeless population that lived like in in that stretch of woods for a time. But you know, at the same time, it was like you know I saw something big and hairy peek over a rock at me, and it was yeah, just I don't know why, but it just some something in it just just a big big like just. Like a like electrical shock of like fear just jolted through me and I just ran, you know. I I I don't know if it, if it was like a fight or flight reflex that just kind of like popped up, or you know I it, it's um it, it's it's kind of weird, right? You know, now that I, the more I'm kind of thinking about it, it had just rained. You know, there are a lot of I can't remember. There's a, is, there's no there actually is a substation or something up there, right? No, it's a there's a water tower that's right at the top of the hill. Yeah, um, like which is end, yeah. yeah, it's on the other I'm, other I'm end. I don't know. There was always kind of weird stuff that kind of happened in there, and there was mm. there was always sort of this un unwritten rule that everyone kind of followed in the neighborhood, which is you don't go in the woods after dark. Which is like you know some people would find it relaxing. It's like for whatever reason you kind of just got this weird feeling being in there. I don't know. It was it was. A, it was kind of a kind of a strange situation to find yourself in, right? You know, you're walking home from work, and you know, I kind of turned a corner on this path, and I glanced over and see something peeking, this you know, big hairy thing peeking over a boulder, and you know, I just ran. That was all I could do, right? I mean, I think I think with uh, with the sort of question that uh, Carrie's asking is that, you know, why why do we respond in certain ways to certain phenomena? And why is it different some other times, right? And I would argue it, it could be a couple of different things. Um, I think first it could be us and how we view the situation, right, with our with our dumb dumb pea brains, and we don't really know <laughs> what's going on, right? So, right, exactly. You know, we we know ah shiny ah spooky thing. Like yeah, you, it, we only know so much, and if we experience something we don't understand. You know, we can react in a couple of different ways, right? I mean, um, you know, the reason that that humor, you know, I, I think H.P. Uh, Lovecraft once said, "There's a very thin line between humor and horror," 
it's because, you know, we laugh at things. Well, actually, we don't I understand. said that. Did you say that? Oh, I thought it was H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> well, Lovecraft said a lot of uh, great stuff about in his essay about uh, the horror literature, but uh, I believe uh, that, that was my original. Well, I haven't had a lot of original thoughts, but that was one of them. Well, I mean, I mean, you're not wrong, right? You know, the reason that we find comedy funny is, yeah, you know, there's two reasons. One, it's relatable, or, two, or you know, two, it's you can't understand it, so we just start laughing about it because we just don't get it, and it doesn't make sense. And we try to make sense of it. Yeah, you know, that's why absurdism is so popular now, right? It's a reflection of our of our culture. And how just absurd everything is, right? Or even the philosophical standpoint of absurdism. I think that was Immanuel Kant. I don't know. Um, whoever it is. Anyway, I, I digress. So, you know, we, we, how we understand things is how we react to them, right? So, like, you know, the little girl in Pennsylvania who, you know, saw Bigfoot there was absolutely terrified of it. But yet, yeah, we have, we have Shane with us who's, you know, he's not afraid of anything, and he just is like, "I gotta chase this thing. I gotta, I gotta find out more about it," <laughs> yeah. because that, you know, it's it's how we approach the situation, right? Yeah, I think that that's correct. Yeah, well, uh, maybe a hundred yards from that little girl was terrified. I had a very positive Bigfoot encounter, and so that again, the Pennsylvania. So, but I've talked about that many times on the show. Right. So, yeah, so, I think uh, maybe uh, as you write, you're right, Ben. The people you bring to it, what you you know, you get out of it, what you bring to it. So. Uh, and, and I think Shane's point is very good too. That, that you've got uh, every dog, cat, squirrel, person, Bigfoot probably has their own personality, and uh, that that's essentially uh, I think the essence of it. Okay, now funny uh, somebody you brought up Lovecraft because uh, our next question is from dear old uh, Peter in Bogota, our very faithful listener and good questioner who writes almost every week. So uh, do you have that in front of you, or, or, or oh, do you have oh, the, I do. The I'm, pre- okay. I'm prepared. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so Peter wrote a couple of questions to us. Actually, well, three questions. Um, and we'll start off with the first one, which is probably most related to Lovecraft, uh, which is, Paul, you have mentioned your trip to Haiti a number of times, but can you please share the full story of what happened? Oh, that's actually not the question. I, 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 I'm, you might not have gotten the updated version. Yeah, did I answer that last week? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, right. You weren't on the show last week. I did answer it last week. Yeah, so. Oh, sorry. Uh, I thought that was the updated question. Uh, I'll just, I'll just, shoot. this is, these are updated questions here. Uh, okay, this is also from Peter. Uh, from time to time, you have mentioned being related to one of the greatest writers of horror literature that ever lived, or whoever lived, H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, do you have any interesting information to share about him, and do you have any reason to believe that his fantastic horror stories were in any way inspired by actual paranormal phenomena. Um, okay, uh, just briefly, uh, yeah, we, we uh, are related to him di- distantly. I guess we're, we're like fifth cousins, or Ben would be maybe sixth cousin, uh, which is not too, too distant, but not too, too close either. Uh, our, our good friends uh, Keith and Carl Johnson, who are well-known in the paranormal realm, are like second cousins to Lovecraft. Um, so, but I've had the honor of representing, uh, the extended family, as it were, at one or two events and that, because the Johnsons couldn't get to. So, uh, yeah, so we are relatives. Uh, Lovecraft uh, lived from 1890 to 1937, uh, in, was mostly in Providence, Rhode Island, near where we broadcast from, the capital of our state. And he was uh, well known for his, um, 
uh, horror stories that he was a pioneer of uh, science fiction literature, uh, writing a lot of um, very unusual uh, stories about, uh, you know, old, um, I, I guess, uh, the the elder ones, you know, a previous race that had ruled Earth and was trying to come back. There's a really, most of it pretty original stuff. Um, at one point, I, I, it is often thought that he really was a believer in the paranormal and was basing stuff on, on things that he'd researched. Uh, he, he did research all the ancient literature he could get his hands on, and he grew up with a huge private library that his grandfather owned. But he were, himself was a non-believer. He was an atheist um, through and through and was not the sort of person who would believe in, in the paranormal. Uh, certainly materialist, but he had a, he got a great deal of, uh, joy out of writing about it. And that's it. And, and uh, the, another personal connection would be, uh, one time, uh, your grandmother and I, Ben, were driving through Providence and, uh, we were pointing out some of the Lovecraftian sites. Uh, he's a well-known fellow in Providence and there's a memorial to him and, the, uh, the, the site, many sites that he wrote about in his stories exist in Providence or, and, and certainly in New England, most of them. And uh, one of them, uh, we were driving by the Shunned House. That's one of his stories, probably the closest he ever came to writing a vampire story. And it's funny because uh, in in his story, he said, and there w- there was uh, supposedly a, a, a crazy person who had lived in the house. Uh, a lot of people who went there, who, who lived there, supposedly were you know had mental issues later on. But uh, a woman supposedly in the 1700s was was screaming in French out of the ups- one of the upstairs windows. And to this day, the owners, in a jocular manner, have all their their beware of dog signs in French. Um, so hopefully, uh, so the dog has a good day if you don't understand French, I guess. Uh, but but in any case, uh, th- that I was we were driving by there, and I said, "Oh, that's uh, you know a Lovecraft or the story about the house." And he said, "Oh, he was a pill," which was her 19th century way way of saying that he was a pain in the neck. I've never heard Lovecraft described that way generally, but apparently, all this, she had never told me this, apparently my father and Lovecraft corresponded. I don't know if they knew they were related, but my father was a big fan. Uh, that's where I get a lot of my interest in the paranormal early on and, and the pass it out to you, Ben, and uh, everybody else I come in contact with. So, uh, But naturally, she threw away all the letters from Lovecraft are worth a lot today. And my father also had a complete set of Weird Tales magazine, which was one of the magazines Lovecraft wrote for, and she threw it all away. That sounds I, about right. If you could divorce your mother, I, I would have done so. You know, absolutely. So anyway, so, so that that's the connection. But uh, I guess to answer Peter's uh, main one here, I don't I don't think Lovecraft based uh, anything uh, in his stories on, on anything he actually believed, but he did base them on a lot of legends, things of that kind, and things that he built upon. So uh, I think that that's probably but and as a second question here I guess you don't have this either but time slip stories okay on a past show you related the story of land surveyors encountering a house from a different time any more such accounts uh that that's the Vermont uh disappearing house case from uh, the 1970s and uh, that's written in several of my books but we have a whole chapter actually in uh, behind the paranormal everything you know is wrong uh our, our book from uh, wait, 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 wait. it's also oh, right by your head. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there are three of them here. Okay. <laughs> uh, one of the ones in there was um, probably the most striking was the, uh, the 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 disappearing ghost town in Utah, 
1996, I was addressing a group uh, in Providence, and uh, an elderly couple, an elderly woman came up and mentioned that she had, she and her husband had been in Utah, and they were uh, great enthusiasts for ghost towns. They'd been driving through looking for ghost towns, things of this kind. And uh, she said that they had uh, encountered one uh, that they wanted to go and see, maybe get some artifacts or whatever that might have been lying around on the ground that happens there. And they were told in uh, the, their hotel by, by the manager that the ghost town did, did, didn't really exist anymore. So they said, well, we'll go see if we can see what we can see. So they drove in there, and there was a whole town, uh, and there was a, a welcome sign that didn't say welcome. It said uh, Vilcom. It was a different language. And uh, long story short, they, all the cars looked the same. Uh, there were ordinary-looking people, but everybody spoke a strange language, which later on turned out to be Dutch. And they figured, well, you know, maybe there are some kind of Mennonites or somebody, because Mennonites don't speak Dutch, but they speak, you know, Germanic language. Uh, and uh, they, they couldn't figure out what was happening. And they went into a restaurant, even the menu uh, was in Dutch, but, and, and then the guy did not recognize American money, but he took their coins uh, at the end, and it was really, really creepy, and they kind of got out of it. People were gathered around their car, which was, uh, you know, a lot brighter in color than, than the ones in that area. So they, they left, and, uh, you know, they, they didn't want to go back, but uh, there were never any reports of this again, and these these were retired professional people had been in banking, and they, they knew, um, you know, they, they, she just did not come across to me. Maybe she even had notes that she'd taken uh, during this. Uh, another example, there are many, many examples in, in uh, my files. Uh, Chagford, the village of Chagford in, in Devon, England. I was, uh, I was there in 1989, and uh, I uh, heard the story of the, uh, the disappearing cottages. And uh, for several occasions of the 19th century, people would see these cottages spring up. And uh, one person even went inside, uh, met the person who was there, who didn't say a word but was very friendly, gave her tea, and a very strange bird in a cage. So, you know, one thinks back to our ideas about the multiverse and there being parallel worlds uh, in which there are maybe different times, different kinds of different species, all kinds of different outcomes, uh, all outcomes, if you figure it all up. So, so yes, Peter, a good question. And, uh, yeah, that, that's a good, as a matter of fact, somebody else asked about this this case, too. Uh, in, in our group of questions today. So um, whether they're time slips, space slips, both, neither, uh, they seem to happen relatively frequently. And I, uh, Shane uh, and Ben, uh, your thoughts are on this? Yeah, I mean, I've remember different type of um, time slip. I mean, I've been out in the woods and, and I've encountered, you know, houses and never been able to find the house again, even though I know I'm in the right area, you know. Yep. Um Another intriguing thing is staircases. People running into staircases in the middle of the woods. I mean, they're just a grand staircase for no reason. And um, there's a whole bunch of stories about that. But I've I've encountered those and never been able to find them again. But um, you know, then you get the time slips that happen within people's homes where it's not actually a parasite, but you have things happen. Like probably 20 years ago, Paul, you you invited me on to one of your cases. I think it was in rhode island um maybe uh, maybe not but you'll you'll remember i think it was on a lake um oh yeah that was in uh, western rhode island by the connecticut line yeah okay yeah washington lake yeah so in the family if i remember correct over the couple years that they lived there they've encountered they said like 25 different apparitions some you know more than once but some of them only once and they would see them 
you know, over this period of time, and none of them would interact with them. None, none of them, the the apparitions or whatever you want to call them, acknowledge the family, except for like the girl would interact quite a bit with them. That the one that used to play underneath the table, but the rest, I remember the guy recalling walking down a hallway and passing a bedroom door, and there's a man standing right in the doorway, and it startled him. But um, th- this this man standing in the doorway never saw him. Like it looked right through him. So that's a different type of yeah. time slip. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that that's classic multiverse, Ben. Um, uh, you know, it's interesting. I don't think I've ever run into them personally. I've heard a lot, a lot of stories about them, and I, I don't doubt that they exist. Mostly because, well, I, I think the term is is problematic. But other than that, you know, it, it's like I, I think it kind of is. You know, we live in New England, right? And it's supposedly the most haunted part of the country. And it's only because it's the oldest part of the country. So we have a lot older buildings, you know, and therefore a lot more time to kind of say, oh, well, this is haunted, you know, X, Y, and Z lived here or committed suicide here or somebody jumped off of the mill, you know, they were (laughs) sick of working for whoever, you know, the guy happened to be at the time. Yeah, Yeah, Samuel Slater. I should know this. And, um, you know, it, it, it's I, I think we just happen to be in a convenient part of the country and it just kind of makes the most sense to say, oh, well, it's just time, which is, I think, a cop out for for actual actually looking at the events themselves. And, um, you know, I've, I've never personally experienced it. Um, like I said, heard a lot of stories. I have heard about those those stairways, those staircases in the woods, though. I thought that, that was a that was just kind of like an internet thing, but apparently it's a real thing. <laughs> um, well, actually, I have news for you, Ben. You you did experience it. You might not remember. Uh, this is when when we first and and this again would be of interest to our local audience. Uh, Woonsocket Hill, uh, which is uh, which we live. It's uh, the Fairmount neighborhood and uh, Upper Fairmount and and over into North Smithfield and then part of it in Blackstone, Massachusetts. Uh, It's a big hill. And uh, a lot of weird things happen on this hill, as we've just discussed. One of them was just after we moved here in 1996, and uh, you, Ben, and uh, your two cousins uh, and uh, the neighborhood dog were walking and exploring the woods. Uh, there's about 30 acres of open space land there. And we came upon a, a a huge, had to be at least an acre or two, a huge field full of yellow flowers. You must remember that. Um, I actually kind of vaguely remember that, yes. And there was a path down the middle of it. And it was just so beautiful. And uh, we, we enjoyed uh, a walk through it. But... It's only about 30 acres. I have never been able to find that field again over all these years. Never never found it again. And it would be, it would be more or less kind of right above our house almost. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the um, uh, Spooner property is part of the, is the old name of some of that land. So I think that that's an example of possibly uh, a multiversal experience of, of that kind. So, so on that uh, note of pretty... Yellow flowers. We, we, do you have Ann's question from Michigan? Uh, I do, which is, okay. have you ever seen aliens? That's the second time we've gotten that, that very question in the, in the past month. Uh, and it's a good question. Um, Shane, why don't you take that one to start? Yeah, um, I have. Um, 
since a little since I was a little boy. The first encounter was when I was three. We actually lived in a home that was haunted. Quotations um, where we would see a man. Um, he was an angry man, and my mother saw him. I saw him. But then what I was seeing in the corner of the room started to change into different things. And then one night. <clears throat> I was looking out into the room on my side. I was like three or four years old. And um, just as I start to fall asleep, I feel a hand on my face, and I I open my eyes, and now I'm looking at your typical gray-looking alien. And I I didn't know what that was at the time, but in retrospect, you know, um, that's what I saw. And then we moved to San Antonio, Texas, when I was seven, and that's when I, I started to see them in my room a lot, like, two on either side of my bed usually um majority of the time there was a, a taller one maybe you know six seven foot tall um towards the back of the room and they would the little ones would look at him or it um for direction then their hands would go up towards my head and i don't remember after that sometimes i would know they were outside my window i'd go to the window i don't remember what happens after that all i remember is having this strong urge to go out there with them and then I don't remember what happens. My, I'd wake up in the morning. My mother would tell me, do you know you tried to walk out the door last night? She, she'd stop me or she would find me sleeping in different parts of the house in the middle of the night. She, or in the morning, she'd find me in weird places. Um, and so, you know, now as an adult, I have encounters in the middle of the night that I know are related. I just no longer see them. Um, you know, I think a lot of that is because I sleep in the dark. You know, I don't have a nightlight like when you're a kid or something. Um, but I do have encounters. I haven't, I haven't since the last time I had the thought to draw my nine millimeter because I had hit with paralysis and I couldn't move. And but I had the thought, get your nine millimeter, you know, grab your gun, grab your gun. And as soon as I heard, you know, thought that, we hear thud, thud, thud. The paralysis goes away like just like a snap of a finger. And um, my wife jumps out of bed. What was that? You know, and um, it, my nine millimeter had got taken out of my boot. Boot wasn't disturbed and was thrown clear across the room. And um, and we have a really large master bedroom, so it wasn't like five feet. I'm talking fifteen, twenty feet away. And um, well, wow. you know, it had to have been. And so, and um, that's I think that was the last encounter I had with with them. Um, well, I don't know what you need firearms for. You have Karen to protect you. <laughs> Hank the German Shepherd. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Hank the German Shepherd. <laughs> uh, well, I think, too, uh, Ben, uh, did you have any thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I, I, I think technically, you know, just in the line of work, you know, you have to de- define what an alien is. And, you know, I think we've all kind of experienced that at some point in time because, you know, alien essentially just means other um, you know, going from you know the the ancient Greek, just something completely out of the, out of the realm of of possibility or utter utterly different from us. And I, I'd say yes, you know, through through our our work, you know, dealing with with various parasites and other entities. Yeah, you know, that's we kind of deal with it on a, on a weekly basis. Although a thought occurred to me, um, you know, if uh, if nine, if none of us were involved in this field. You know, do you think we'd ever experience anything, right? I mean, you know, Shane, you've had experiences since you were a kid. If you just suddenly stopped doing this, you think you'd still experience stuff? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I do. Um, Interesting question. Th- this is why I'm into it is because I, I was experiencing it first, and then I got interested into it. And having like a thirsty mechanical aptitude, you had to figure out what's going on. What you know? How? What's? What is this? And um, you know, it was it was first living in that haunted home where we were experiencing paranormal activity. But then having that alien encounter, um, that and then that was my next experience uh, for a while, the duration, um, and then um, then at ten having a, a near death experience where there was a lot of weird things happening around me while I was sick, and wanting to know how this is all, how does this work? You know, I, I mm-hmm. need to understand all, every layer and all the components and how the you know, and so that's what I've been doing my whole life, and that's why is because my I first experienced it. And, but I think if, um, I think most of the time, I mean, it, not, not the ones that are being attacked by a parasite, but once you're, once you've experienced a paranormal, you're kind of always connected. You're tuned almost to it. So you can, you can learn how to shut that off. And that's what I do to people. I, I help people do that. But, um, but unless you go through that process and really change your internal dialogue, you're forever connected. You will always experience things. Hmm. Okay. Uh, well, we're, we're going to, uh, I'll just do a brief station ID here. It's, uh, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno and our special guest co-host Shane Seaway today, open line show on WON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And, uh, I think we'll leave it at that because we have a caller. Uh, we don't want to keep waiting. And, uh, I believe it is Phil from Connecticut, one of our show reporters. Uh, Phil, welcome to, you're on WON and Behind the Paranormal. Hello, Paul. How are you doing today? Good afternoon. Oh, pretty fair. Yeah, uh, we um, uh, are always happy to hear from our show reporters. Uh, now, Phil is over in the Litchfield Goshen area in Connecticut, which is the heart of uh, our uh, triangle, one of Ben's first cases. So, Phil, what's uh, you had you had a question you wanted to ask? I believe, but we have a yeah, writing, that, uh, but, uh, what, about what? Um, the Litchfield Triangle and a question for uh, perhaps for Shane. Um, and now you had mentioned the Vermont um, situation with the surveyors, and mm. they had seen, uh, according to your book and your work, a man with an axe uh, walking on his property, and that the house looked very much as if it were it was unpainted and looked as if it was from the 1800s. Um, and this uncontrollable urge comes over one to kind of skedaddle out of the area sometimes uh, when you're forced to that situation. My question is, what would happen if those surveyors had kind of knocked on the door and tried to interact with um, with these people that they slipped into time with? What do you think might have happened then? That's an awfully good question. Uh, well, did you want to ask Shane that? Because... Uh, sure, because that kind of correlates yeah. with what he was talking about with missing people. I know uh, Shane sure. had done work with the UFO um, virtual uh, show that was on from Danbury, and he did a whole segment on missing people. And I'm wondering if, if sometimes enter these time slips also was correlates with missing people. So it was like second part of that question. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think a strong consideration, a very strong consideration with the missing people. Um, a lot of people want to lean towards, you know, Bigfoot. Bigfoot's taken them, and sometimes it does seem like that. You can, you know, lean in that direction, but sometimes people just vanish. Like what, their footprints just stop. There's no Bigfoot prints that come up to them and take them. They just stop in the snow or stop in the sand, and like they just 
so um did they pass through some kind of portal you know that the same type of um mechanics that allow these time slips to come, cross over or did it now the reverse instead of something coming in somebody went out of this existence here it did is that what happened i mean it it really looks that way sometimes so i, I think that's a really good question um in you know i just um that's something that I, I really think of. I mean, I would lean for the majority of the cases that that I've I've studied. I would lean more in that direction than I would Bigfoot. That, um, be it like a portal, um, and then also I, I can't rule out alien either. You know. Well, it's all it's intertwined somehow, and it seems that the one uh, common factor in in all of these is they're not planned. It just happens. I mean, you can't say, mm. "Oh, I'm gonna." At 4 o'clock this afternoon, have a paranormal experience up at the Triangle. It doesn't work that way. It just, just kind of happens, often when you least expect it. That's the trouble with doing TV shows uh, on this subject, right. you know. Well, yeah. it's, it's it's fast, and you don't expect it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, what are the and, interesting... and, yeah, I mean, you can think about this, uh, for, but all seems to tie into the, to the multiverse where all possibilities exist. Uh, at the Litchfield Triangle, um, and that's well documented in your books, Paul, and also in William Hall's books, and you've had Donna on. Um, I was up there recently, and there was um, a, an incredible stillness. Um, if you go, I don't want to get the exact name of the road, but as you go up into Goshen and uh, into the very rural area, all of a sudden you come around where um, where that underground base um, is, is supposedly. And I was up there, and there was just a point where there was no wind, no birds, a very pale color descends upon the place, a certain brownness hanging in the air, um, a sense of timelessness, like everything is so still, and then it feels electrified. It feels like you can feel coursing through your body. You can feel you know, your hair standing on end. Um, yeah. and, and it's very seemingly brief, but then all of a sudden you say, well, I've been here for half an hour. How'd that happen? And then I get that, that uncontrollable urge to leave, uh, so uh, which it baffles me as I sit here. But it's something that uh, I think Shane or somebody mentioned or, or Ben earlier this afternoon. Um, just that sometimes you're involved in these situations and you, you just get the urge to leave, like it's a, a, a fight yeah. or fight situation. Um, I was going to actually still, say I think an active area, and they all seem to be triangles too. If you think about it, the Pennsylvania Triangle, the um, uh, the Litchfield Triangle, you know, the Bermuda Triangle, uh, the ranch, they all seem to, to, to fall upon that symbol. So that's interesting, too. There's a lot going on. Yeah, go ahead, Shane. Yeah, I was going to say, because he, he said something that I've mentioned on the show before, talking about these subjects. And um, so when we're in these areas that we call, you know, um, the paranormal flap areas, which are also some of these flap areas are, the, you know, that we've heard about um, and that we're in, are also areas where people are going missing strangely with no, you know, rational explanation. Um, but while we're in these paranormal flap areas, prior to something happen happening, it's just like he said, everything goes still, and my body becomes like electrified. I've said it buzzes like, zzz, and I my feels like my body's just buzzing. And sometimes I think it's a vehicle I'm in. I'm like, but it, and I realize it happens to me every time right before something happens. So it's it's. I'm glad that he said that because I've mentioned that on the show many times, and it happens within these flap areas. It happened in Connecticut to me. It happened in Pennsylvania flap area case prior to me having experience with something. 
Mm. Well, yeah, that's true. And uh, Phil, I know, uh, and I have talked about this previously, but th- there have been a lot of um, <clears throat> strange uh, electronic uh, phenomena going on around that vicinity and uh, things on utility poles that uh, now my military experience being, you know, 40 odd years old, uh, nevertheless, uh, could recognize and we've taken photos and shown uh, them to uh, people who are tech, you know, technicians for utility companies. They didn't recognize them either. A lot of strange things going on. Uh, also, uh, there were being developed when I was in the military the, uh, things like uh, sensors and uh, monitoring devices that looked like knots of trees. And, you know, you'd stick it out of the tree. You wouldn't know the difference between that and the tree. <laughs> things like that, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, 007 kind of stuff. And uh, I just I swear there there are things like that that I've seen around that area. But, uh, again, uh, we um, are not able to get too close to it generally, although there have been exceptions to that. And uh, we're still kind of keeping an eye. Uh, and we, we have been looking for any disappearances in that area and, and uh, we haven't found any that weren't explainable uh phil uh, as a show reporter you can cons- consider that homework if you would be so kind keep an well, eye I, out i'll look <laughs> into about i have no interest in disappearing i still have a lot of work uh, i hope to do you don't this plan of existence. <laughs> I really hope you don't. Uh, but uh there, there's um yeah i mean it's, it's a very very strange place and there's also uh a lot of people in the area have had their electric bills go skyrocketing. Now, there yeah. might be a reason for that. The local energy company, Eversource, was spiking its uh, prices during COVID, which caused all this stir. But there might no, be other reasons, too. Um, now, I mean, could you just talk briefly to the phenomenon? You, you've talked about this before, where you have energy around your, your, your where you're living, uh, and then the uh, electric bill skyrockets. Yeah, well, these, these things are all connected. Uh, I particularly research that in reference to parasites, uh, what folklore calls demons. You know, if they're in a vicinity, uh, you see a lot of activity uh, within 200 to 1,000 feet around high-tension wires, uh, which are, when I was a reporter, I actually uh, discovered uh, the hard way how, uh, how uh, leaky, as it were, some of these high-tension wires can be. Uh, maybe the insulation is better today, but I actually... Uh, when I was working for a, pa- a smaller daily paper in Rhode Island, when I, and I held a fluorescent bulb, and I stood under the wires, and the bulb lit up. So not a good place to uh, to, to live or to, uh, uh, you know, put a playground. Uh, however, it does indicate that you've got a lot of electromagnetic activity going on in these areas, and I think a lot of parasites feed on that. I think that the, uh, the flap area phenomena themselves the processes feed upon that as well so i think that that's very relevant also as shane pointed out that case in western rhode island where you had a um uh, a large lake uh you find underground rivers and shane can talk more about that too right yeah yeah actually that um we did a, i've done a couple cases where i've gone to the house and and the activity that they're, they're explaining to me um is very much in line with every other case that that you know I'm talking about cases that are re- regular or active on a regular basis, not just something that happens once a month. I'm talking like you know multiple times a week. There's always a river, stream, or a water body nearby, and so there's been a, a couple, three times maybe um, cases where I'm in in a house that they're reporting all this to me, and I'm reading their body language. They're not lying, but I'm like. 
but something's off because there's no river or stream nearby your house. And, and every single time that that's happened, they said, no, Shane, we've had our, our land x-rayed. There's a river, underground river that runs underneath our house. So, I mean, these things really, so these flap areas, also the, the places where people are going missing, um, you know, that are unexplainable, all are surrounded by rivers and streams. So whatever that, you know, that process is that's allowing these crossovers, these portals, or whatever these things that are coming through um, and interacting in some way, they're utilizing um, th- that that mechanic. You know, they're all doing it because um, in these areas you, you see aliens and UFOs and Bigfoots and you have haunted homes and um, at a very high you know, level. And um, so it's definitely over you know over it makes you feel like it's science that we don't understand yet but science that might be explained uh in the future exactly. um, that is just yeah. you know and and so there is real explanation for it it's just that we haven't gotten there yet um you know it's just dawned on me so it baffles us and, and we tend i mean sometimes uh, your first uh, reaction is just to dismiss it because it doesn't fit into the category of how you see the world and that's the what a lot of our closed-minded scientists do. You know, I argue with them a yeah. lot um, because oh, yeah. they're just so tied to the scientific method they can't see beyond it and actually hinders their thought process. Uh, but this stuff is real. It's going on, and, uh, you know, maybe someday it'll make more sense. Yeah. Uh, ben, you got a point? Yeah, I, I, um, I, it, only, it only just dawned on me now um you know, with with the increase and change in in technology, especially wireless technology, um, you know, I I uh, it it made me think of this conversation my wife had with her nutritionist, and her nutritionist was saying you got to watch out for electromagnetic fields, you got to watch out for gamma rays, anything that's wireless, you know, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, all of that, it can negatively affect your health. And a part of me thinks, well, that's kind of dumb. We don't have any evidence of that, but. Then it also brings me to a point that um, I realized earlier is that this stuff hasn't been long enough. It hasn't been around long enough for us to test the side effects of it, right? You know, a perfect example of that is electronic cigarettes. You know, it came across, you know, maybe a decade ago um, as as an alternative to smoking cigarettes. And they, it was touted as, oh, it's a healthier way to get nicotine so that, you know, you can quit smoking and there's no harmful side effects. I mean, they had no evidence to say that, right? You know, five, six years later, they're like, oh, just kidding. It creates air bubbles in your lungs and could actually kill you, you know, with the same amount of percent, with the same percentage as, you know, someone who smokes regular cigarettes. And, you know, with, with that in mind, not to say that it's analogous, but the, the, the the point I'm trying to make is we have all of this all of these you know wireless devices and all of these things that you know we sort of assume have no effects on us which is just you know naive <laughs> for all of us you know we, we we're seeing more and more um, paranormal activity and we're hearing more and more about it you know it could it could have more to do specifically you know especially in flap areas and whatnot but we're finding that even areas that that are outside of this, that you know, maybe there are underground streams, maybe there are you know, more sandy soils and more things to conduct conduct you know electromagnetic activity. But I think the devices that we use too don't help. And I I think that you know, with with sort of come coming to this this conclusion of, I I think maybe a lot of these other things that we have going on, you know, whether it's 
Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, you know, any anything in that realm, that may or may not feed into phenomena of sorts, right? And it's sort of creating electromagnetic fields where there weren't really any before, or nor or naturally occurring ones. So maybe our our sort of method is just is go, is changing along with technology as well, keeping well, that in mind. Okay, I, Phil, I hate to keep you out of the line here, but uh, we have a question that is relevant to, uh, I guess, all of us who are investigating that case. This is from Lauren in Connecticut, and uh, e- this came in by email. Uh, first of all, she okay, says, glad good. you're back, Let's Ben. Go. Okay, uh, glad you're back, Ben, she says. Uh, have good you noticed... Back. Have you noticed any Mandela effects around the farm in Goshen? Uh, have you noticed the Mandela events around any other investigations or flat areas you've investigated? And the Mandela effect is, uh, you know, t- uh, just what we're talking about. People remember different outcomes from events. Um, like the Bernstein any- Bears versus the Bernstein Bears. Right. Uh, Phil, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, maybe he uh, thought I was saying goodbye. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. Well, well, Phil, uh, you're a steely-eyed missile man. Don't disappear. And thank you for all your your good work over there. Okay. Um, we have. Uh, well, I'll, I'll leave this to Shane and Ben. Have you encountered any Mandela effect reports from that vicinity in, in the course of our work? Hmm. You've heard of Shane. I have not. No. Okay, strictly the Mandela, Mandela referring to Nelson Mandela, former president of South Africa and apartheid hero. He was, um, there were people who were having conversation, remembering, oh, he died uh, in prison, and he didn't. He ended up getting out of prison, becoming, he died in his 90s of natural causes. He was president of South Africa, and people had different memories of different events, uh, different spellings of, as Ben said, the Berenstain Bears. All right. Uh, there, supposedly, even books have been found with different, the, different spellings and, and all sorts of things of this kind. And we, we've done, um, look, we've ever done a show, and I've been on shows that have discussed this at length. But uh, that's what the Mandela effect is. It certainly fits right in with with the multiverse idea that there are different outcomes that overlap and overwash and things of this kind. I think um, my favorite one is was it was it Shaquille O'Neal or um, Sinbad who was in Shazam? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. It's always like, like really common things that might happen. And people have different memories of you know we, we confabulate and things of this kind. So. Um, I, I think there is something. I remember R- Richard Dolan, a well-known UFO expert, on on a, on a panel all of us were on too, at a UFO conference, was saying he, he sort of. Uh, matter of fact, I think he was on this show. We did. We were doing a panel broadcast, and he said, uh, "No, I don't believe in the Mandela effect. I think it's uh, it's not what people think it is, and this sort of thing." Other people disagreed, so it's it's still uh, it's the jury is still out on that. I mean, most uh, of it's kind of like a pop culture thing, right? Uh, but I guess yeah. on a, in a small scale, I guess a Mandela effect would be, oh, I put my keys on the table. I know my keys were on the table. And then you go and look and they're not there. Yeah. I mean, that's that's probably if we're talking about small scale stuff. I doubt, <laughs> I doubt that, um, you know, the mayor of the town suddenly disappears, dies in jail or like, you know, and, or or whatever, so, something like that. You know, I, I don't think there's any large scale Mandela effects that would happen in any any flap area, right? I think a lot of it could be, you know, sort of a weird cultural consciousness thing where some people think one thing and other people think another, 
and then you know sort of get an idea planted in their heads. But it, it's entirely possible too that you know there could be shifts in reality. Some people remember you know from different worlds different outcomes, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's the thing. It's very difficult to put your finger on, and uh, it's common among. Well, this is, this is the double-sided question that often occurs to me uh, in things like this. You've got people who have you know, false memories or, or just don't remember correctly, uh, and other people who, uh, who, who remember other things. Uh, is it just false memories and confabulation, or is it uh, real memories of real worlds where things were, were different? Because we, we, if these theories are correct, we're living in a number of different worlds all the time, and our subconscious here is uh, is our conscious there, and, and it's it's actually rather elegant, I think. Other people think it's crazy, but I mean I that's know. true. But then you kind of have to figure out what memory actually is, and you know, can we can we trust memory, right? You know, if we if we discuss an event that you and I were a part of, yeah, you know, we might say the same things, but it's entirely possible that we'll remember things differently, and it's it's in, because we see it from our perspective. And you know the the problem with memory is perspective and how we view the event. Is, well, the question is, yeah, well, that's true. And the question is too, what is memory? Right. It has never really been pinned down in the brain. And of course, people like uh, Dr. Carl Jung, uh, the great uh, student of um, uh, Freud, who eventually came to the conclusion Freud was full of baloney. Came up with the idea of the collective unconscious that our, our memories and, and a lot of our even our personalities and a lot of things that we think are inside us are not they're shared uh, in the, what's known in physics as, as a non-local manner that's outside of us and involves all of us and even maybe something greater the whole you know, consciousness of the universe or the multiverse uh, so so that's um, it's, it's really difficult to pin down, but but, but as, as uh, Phil was indicating, and as we've often been saying lately, uh, today's paranormal is tomorrow's science, you know, and uh, undiscovered science, as, as our friend Mark D'Antoni would say. Shane, any thoughts on this? No, I mean, uh, everything that you guys said, great, um, but yeah, the Mandela effect, I'm, I'm aware of it, I just never actually physically, well, actually, that's not true, because I remember Sinbad being a purple genie, <laughs> <laughs> even though he never was, I guess, I, beside myself because i really i can i can remember it um in the old baron saying bear thing You're listening to Behind the Paranormal, and it appears that our connection with all three guests has frozen up. Please stand by.
night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to the Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Wanna take a ride? Again, it appears we've lost our all three of our hosts on the Behind the Paranormal program. Please stand by. We're trying to reconnect with our hosts. Please stand by. And it appears we're going to fail to connect to our hosts, and it's very near the ending uh, time for our program. We apologize. But then again, even on Behind the Paranormal, paranormal things happen. Have a pleasant day. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.
Hi, everybody. This is Dave Richards. The 2020 Milk Fund auction is underway, but due to Rhode Island's COVID-19 restrictions, pickup and pay is in the parking lot of the radio station, Saturdays only from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. or by special appointment. If you can't pick up and pay on Saturdays, call the fabulous Denise at 